Transmitting from the Mojave Wilderness in Joshua Tree, California. Now is the time for Desert Oracle Radio, the voice of the desert. Deep into the weird year of 1947, a man named Howard E. Hill stood before a lunchtime audience at the Los Angeles Transportation Club and told an incredible story of an ancient temple within Death Valley's Panamint Mountains. Hill was speaking on behalf of Dr. Bruce Russell, who had retired his medical practice in Ohio to mine the California desert for treasure. The desert southwest was filling up with aging Easterners seeking dry air for their various ailments and excitement for their dull lives. Dr. Russell had found both, but for 16 years he had little luck in convincing the world to accept his Death Valley discovery. That was now Howard Hill's job, the fruits of which could be found in newspapers across America in the following days. On August 4, the Associated Press sent out a story that started like this. A retired Ohio doctor has discovered relics of an ancient civilization whose men were eight or nine feet tall in the Colorado desert near the Arizona-Nevada-California line. Several well-preserved mummies were taken yesterday from caverns in an area roughly 180 miles square, extending through much of southern Nevada from Death Valley, California, and across the Colorado River into Arizona. Dr. Russell claimed he had fallen through loose alluvial sands into an underground cavern while he was digging a mine shaft. He would return in 1946 with an Arizona-born archaeologist named Daniel S. Bovee, who had worked on cliff-dwelling sites in New Mexico and claimed to be an expert in Native American history. Bovee and Russell entered the remote Panamint Cavern and explored for many days, counting 32 lengthy tunnels and allegedly discovering many mummified remains of a race of giants. Preserved in the cool, dry caves, the mummies were clad in suits of tailored animal skins. Alongside them were the implements of their civilization. Remains of mammoths and saber-toothed cats were said to line another subterranean tunnel. The media sensation was short-lived, though. Anthropologists found the tale ridiculous, especially Bill's claims that one great chamber featured devices and markings similar to those now used by the Masonic Order. Hill and Dr. Russell vanished from the public eye. Daniel S. Bovey died in Laguna Beach in 1983. His career in fringe archaeology forgotten. It was not the first claim of mummies and lost civilizations discovered beneath the Panamint Mountains. 
Bork Lee, pen name of a writer who collected Death Valley folklore, had in 1932 related a tale from miners Bill Cochran and Jack Stewart, who had made the acquaintance of three individuals having car trouble on the road outside of Furnace Creek. Fred Thomason and a Mr. and Mrs. White. Fred and Mr. White had also fallen through alluvial sands near Wingate Pass and found themselves in a chamber of wonders. Giants are not mentioned in this tale, which you can read in the pages of 1932's Death Valley Men by Borkley. Cochran and White had discovered an underground city of gold. The reported location of the shaft is at the southern end of the Panamints. The year of discovery is uncertain. Borkley places the event in the 1920s. And it's best to let Mr. White describe this weird scene. Gold spears, gold shields, gold statues, jewelry, thick gold bands on their arms. I found them. I fell into the underground city. There was an enormous room, big as this canyon. A hundred men were in it. Some were sitting around a polished table that was inlaid with gold and precious stones. Men stood around the walls of the room carrying shields and spears of gold. All the men, more than a hundred men, had on leather aprons. The finest kind of leather, soft and full of gold ornaments and jewels. They sat there and they stood there with all that wealth around them. They are still there. They are all dead. The tunnels and chambers within those mountains eventually climbed thousands of feet above the green splotch of Furnace Creek on Death Valley's floor, which the men claimed to be able to see through great open windows that met what appeared to be the smooth stone of boat landings. Great stone docks that once met the ancient waters of Lake Manly. Prostrated by their attempts to sell the discovery to the Smithsonian for a fair price, just five million dollars for a treasure surely worth billions, the men claimed to get some local interest from the Southwest Museum in Los Angeles. But flash floods down the slopes at Wingate Pass had changed the country all around and they were unable to find the cavern entrance again. It is the sort of story you sometimes hear after the whiskey has been passed around the campfire many times, especially when bad luck miners are in attendance. But at least one local Indian told a similar tale also shared in Borkley's book. A Tembisha guide who was known as Tom Wilson claimed his grandfather entered an unknown tunnel along the Panamints and disappeared for three entire years. When he returned, he described a strange people who lived within the mountains and spoke an unknown tongue. They rode great horses through the miles-long corridors and tunnels and they dined well on foods unknown to Death Valley foragers. The grandfather was treated kindly and welcome to stay, but eventually chose to return to his tribe. Tom Wilson had sought the entrance to this other world ever since. 
Now, John Wesley Powell, the great explorer of the Colorado River, was told a similar story in the 1860s while navigating the Grand Canyon. But in this version, the tribal elder was seeking his dead wife in an underworld peopled by a strange race. Powell was shocked as the tale was nearly identical to the Greek legend of Orpheus and Eurydice. Wingate Pass is five miles due south of the Manson family's last hideout at Barker Ranch. And Charles Manson's proximity to Wingate Pass in 1968 and 1969 is more than a morbid footnote. Manson was obsessed with the underground caverns around Death Valley, convinced he could find a hole like Devil's Hole that would allow him and his followers to drop out of sight and wait out the apocalyptic race war he hoped to begin. The race war he hoped to begin with the Los Angeles murder rampage he orchestrated in August 1969. Afterwards, the family retreated to Barker Ranch with Manson hoping police would blame the ritual murders on the Black Panthers, setting Helter Skelter into motion. In Saline Valley, now within Death Valley National Park's northern boundaries, Manson was delighted to find a hot spring pool with no apparent bottom. He ordered Steve Grogan and Ruth Ann Morehouse to dive down and find the floor, but the water was too hot. They instead attached a stone to a rope and tried to determine the pool's depth. Manson could not stop thinking about the subterranean paradise. He knew about the rumored caverns and mummies that had been on the TV show Death Valley Days. He knew that in 1965, three young men had descended into Devil's Hole on the other side of Death Valley. And he knew that two of those divers did not come out of the hole. It was all over the news for weeks, especially as teams of experienced scuba divers went deep into the fossil waters. And came back with nothing beyond a snorkeling mask and a flashlight left as an exit marker. Where did those young men go? Over three days in 1968, Manson reportedly meditated at Devil's Hole, waiting for a sign, a clue, a revelation. One of Manson's killers, Tex Watson, described it like this. While the rich piggies lay butchered on their own manicured front lawns, we would have found safety. Charlie would have led us through a secret devil's hole into the bottomless pit. An underground paradise beneath Death Valley where water from a lake would give everlasting life. And you could eat fruit from twelve magical trees, a different one for each month of the year. That would be Charlie's gift to us, his children, his family. Claims of ancient giants were not uncommon in the United States, especially in the westward expansion of the 1800s. The great mound civilizations of the Ohio River and Mississippi Valleys were said to hold the graves of an old race. Ten-foot-tall warrior kings. But the skeletons tended to mysteriously disappear or be revealed as hoaxes. Joseph Smith, the founder of the Latter-day Saints, was one of those who claimed to know a secret history of prehistoric America. 
like the many tales of blue-eyed ancient Americans with blonde or red hair. There was a strong racial element to such stories and insistence that North America's indigenous tribes must have arrived after a superior white race had died out or gone back to Egypt of the Pharaohs or Crete of the Minoans. On California's Channel Islands, a grave robber named Ralph Glidden exhumed thousands of Native American skeletons and built an entire museum on Catalina Island from those bones. Skulls in the crude building were used as lamps holding electrical light fixtures. Windows were edged in bones from toes, ankles, wrists, fingers, and human vertebrae lined the ceiling. Glidden swore he had also discovered giants, the skeletons of which were somehow evidence of a prehistoric race of giant, fair-skinned, blue-eyed natives. Catalina Island's owners, the Wrigley family, later bought the morbid museum and its desecrated remains, most of which eventually found their way to the hidden archives of UCLA's Fowler Museum. In Death Valley, at least, it was allowed that the ancient subterranean civilization was related to the Tembisha Shoshone tribe that inhabits the region today. Although Shoshone people likely arrived after the Fremont culture was displaced around a thousand years ago. Shoshone folklore tells of coming into contact with a red-haired tribe of fierce cannibals they called the Thule Dwellers. And the discoveries at Nevada's Lovelock Cave and the Black Rock Desert provided much evidence for a rich Lake Lahontan culture, shown in artifacts such as the 10,000-year-old sandals known as the New World's oldest surviving shoes and the collection of beautifully detailed duck decoys made from tule and decorated with duck feathers. As the great inland seas of the Pleistocene began to recede, including Lake Manly and Lake Panamint within today's boundaries of Death Valley National Park, the tule dwellers moved on, died out, maybe they became the mysterious cave people. The human remains at Lovelock Cave have been too scattered and disturbed to legitimize claims that giants had been buried there, and the bits of red hair claimed to have been collected at such sites have been explained away as oxidization and discoloration of the original black hair. Still, there are the sandals. One pair, displayed in a Reno museum in the 1950s, matched a men's size 15. One of the many curious facts about the Mojave Desert is that great underground rivers and lakes still abound beneath this sun-blasted, dried-up surface. The Mojave River itself, with headwaters in the San Bernardino Mountains makes only a few year-round appearances at the surface, the Narrows at Victorville and Lane Crossing and again at Afton Canyon, before draining into the mineral sands beyond Zizek's. And when deep earthquakes rock Mexico and Alaska, the waters are violently disturbed at Devil's Hole and Death Valley. 
the 7.9 Gulf of Alaska quake on January 23, 2018 created foot-tall waves in the pupfish pool. While an 8.1 Timbler in Chiapas on September 8, 2017 caused three-foot-tall waves that knocked plants off the usually dry walls of Devil's Hole. Fresh waters flow beneath the usually dry 185 miles of the Armagosa River, too. And wildlife conservationists have proven that the Mojave Desert freshwater aquifer targeted by the Cadiz Corporation feeds dozens of surface springs that keep bobcats and endangered bighorn sheep alive. These geologic and hydrologic facts, in large part unknown a century ago, give some credence to the stories of miners stumbling upon underground rivers alongside the remnants of ancient cultures. The great archaeological dig at Lovelock Cave in the Great Basin was an accidental discovery by guano miners in 1911 as was the unearthing of the Nankamadi Gnostic Gospels in 1945 Egypt. These underground rivers and lakes lend plausibility to a persistent legend from the Death Valley Tembisha Shoshone that another race of beings lives within the Panamint Mountains to this day and that these beings travel in great canoes across the sky. Howard E. Hill's wild presentation at the Los Angeles Transportation Club barely registers on the list of oddities in the news of 1947. That was the year flying saucers entered and never left the American consciousness. Kenneth Arnold, private pilot and western businessman, watched a formation of nine shiny boomerang-shaped aircraft zip over Mount Rainier on June 24 of that year. The craft's bizarre movement from point to point across the sky reminded him of the way a flat stone or a saucer would skip on the surface of a pond. It was an editor's choice to translate this description of movement into a description of the objects themselves and distinctively shaped flying saucers were soon being reported around the world, especially in the Mojave Desert outside of Los Angeles. George Van Tassel's UFO conventions at Giant Rock drew thousands of believers and hucksters from Los Angeles and beyond, while fellow alien contactees were called to the Mojave for their own close encounters. Kenneth Arnold wrote his first-person account of his flight amongst the flying saucers in the premier issue of Fate, the new pulp magazine created by the visionary Ray Palmer, previously the editor at Amazing Stories. The Tembisha lore by a Native American elder was exactly the kind of material that made Fate an instant success with educated readers whose view of the world had been severely shaken by the Nazis by the atomic bomb, by the haunting lights and impossibly fast aircraft flying unmolested over the United States in the late 1940s. Tribal memories of the flying saucers appeared in the September 1949 issue and was credited to a Navajo writer named Ogamake, a pen name of one of Roy Palmer's frequent contributors, Lucille Taylor Hansen 
She used the byline L. Taylor Hansen in her articles collecting American Indian religious traditions. And in fate, this interest would merge with the flying saucer craze with a Tambisha elder allegedly explaining the long history of anomalous lights over Death Valley, the Shoshone name for the land being Tomesha. We have known of these ships for untold generations, says the unnamed elder. We also believe we know something of the people who fly them. They are called the Havmusivs. They are a people of the Panamints, and they are as ancient as Tomesha itself. It is an elegant solution for all the European-American stories of UFOs and lost cities of gold and lush paradise beneath the parched desert. It is a story that resonates especially well in our own time, with our California Garden of Eden rapidly turning to fire and dust. Living within their mountain fortress, the Havmusivs ruled the inland sea, trading with faraway peoples and bringing strange goods to the great docks said to still exist in the caverns. As the centuries rolled past, the climate began to change. The water in the lake went down until there was no longer a way to the sea, and only a dry crust remained of the great blue lake. The fire god began to walk across Tomesha, which means the flaming land. As in the extraterrestrial lore of the 20th and 21st century and the fairy lore of old Europe, the Havmusivs are beautiful people dressed in white with long and lustrous hair. Their skin is of a golden tint, says the elder, and it brings to mind George Van Tassel's space visitors with their good, healthy tans. But like their alien gray and elven cousins, they should not be annoyed and they should not be pursued. The elder says, These strange people have weapons. One is a small tube which stuns one with a prickly feeling like a rain of cactus needles. One cannot move for hours. And during this time, the mysterious ones vanish up the cliffs. The other weapon is deadly. It is a long silvery tube. When this is pointed at you, death follows immediately. Readers of UFO contact lore will be familiar with the descriptions of those weapons. One such story appeared on the front page of the Bakersfield Californian on August 20, 1949. Two hot miners spot and chase disc pilots. A grizzled desert prospector reported in Mojave that a whizzing disc crashed near Death Valley and that two little men jumped out and disappeared in the sand dunes, the International News Service reports. The prospector, Buck Fitzgerald, 
who claims he has lived in the Death Valley region long enough to know a flying disc when he sees one, said that his sidekick, Maze Garney, also witnessed the event. Related Fitzgerald, the flying disc, which was about 24 feet in diameter, whizzed past us going about 300 miles per hour. It crash-landed and two little men jumped out and started running when they saw us. The men looked human, but they were very small, like dwarfs. We chased them over a sand dune, but we lost them. I don't know where they went. The two prospectors allowed that with a temperature of 138 degrees, it was too hot to chase the little men for any great distance. episode, episode 38, I managed to skip over a detail that might have left you wondering. And speaking of Wyatt Earp's longtime spouse, Josephine Sarah Marcus, I mentioned that she owned the cemetery plot where they're both buried in Colma, the city of the dead outside of San Francisco. And I mentioned that she was Jewish while Wyatt Earp was not. Somewhat random trivia without the connecting fact that the cemetery plot is within Hills of Eternity Memorial Park, which is a Jewish cemetery. That's how Wyatt Earp got in. Unlike the usual Old West gunfighter or gambler, Wyatt Earp did not wind up in a shallow desert grave beneath a wood plank marker. The remains of Earp and Josephine Sarah Marcus, who did much to maintain and promote his legend rest peacefully together in a manicured and graciously landscaped cemetery built according to the Jewish principles of dignity and respect for the dead. Speaking of such, the previous location of that cemetery was what later became Dolores Park, near the San Francisco Mission. Join us on Halloween night in Palm Springs at the Ace Hotel for scary campfire stories and cocktails under the night sky, outside around the campfire. October 31, 7 p.m. to 9 p.m., we will try to bring some dignity to a holy night. A holy night that has pretty much been stripped of all dignity, all romance. There's going to be some great DJ programs afterwards, including a set of all Misfits music and a set from the New California Barber. You've been listening to Desert Oracle Radio, broadcasting from Joshua Tree, California, Soundscapes Tonight by Red, Blue, Black, Silver, and I am your host, Ken Lane. Subscribe to the podcast or hear it on the radio Fridays at 10 p.m. across the Mojave from Amboy Desizics. KCDZ 107.7 FM. Get our pocket-sized field guide to the mysterious American desert at our website, desertoracle.com. 
and shops across the Southwest. And if you want Desert Oracle Radio on your community radio station, we are distributed by Public Radio Exchange, PRX. Good night from the Voice of the Desert.